Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Happy New Year, everybody. It's the first week of the 2024 sports calendar, and even though football season may be over, and even though our bet of blue Gatorade at the Super Bowl dunking Andy Reid did not cash, we are still giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you head to Bet Online Sportsbook with the link in the description to this episode and use our promo code BELIEVE. Use that 50% welcome bonus to bet on basketball. Maybe you're into the pro, maybe you're into the college, maybe you're into Caitlin Clark setting the all-time scoring record in the history of college basketball. However you choose to bet, 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is, you may be listening. Thank you for stopping on into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous Wednesday, February 21st, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. We have got a really fun show planned for you here today. Last week, following the Super Bowl, I got a chance to uh, do some radio slash podcasting work with our friend Emil Fragoso. He's been on the show a couple times before. Me and him are buddy-buddy up there in Sacramento. Uh, he covers the San Francisco 49ers for the station that I work at, and uh, we got a chance to sit down and record an hour-long podcast for their show, Return of the Empire. It is a San Francisco 49er-based podcast where we kind of just broke down the the Super Bowl analysis, some of the 49er injury news, and of course, Steve Wilkes getting fired as defensive coordinator by the San Francisco 49ers. And I know we've done an episode talking about Steve Wilkes getting fired by the 49ers, but there's an interesting conversation point that Emil and I have at the very end of the show that I want you guys to hear, because we didn't get to cover it, uh, talking about Wilkes and the the replaceability within the locker room if you guys wait till the end of the show you'll get that conversation and in the in between there's all sorts of really good talk I know we had a a post Super Bowl hour-long podcast that we did but it just felt really good to bounce ideas off of someone who not only covers the San Francisco 49ers and has an in-depth knowledge of that team but someone who was in the building for the Super Bowl he had credentials he was in Las Vegas in the building to watch beautiful baby boy Patrick Mahomes beat 
the San Francisco 49ers at the end of the Super Bowl. So getting to bounce ideas off of someone who was actually there at the game and actually covering the Super Bowl was something that I very much enjoyed and can't wait to share with all of you guys because this is a this is a first in the history of the Take It Easy podcast, the first time ever that we are getting post Super Bowl analysis from someone who was at the Super Bowl themselves. We've had people who go to Super Bowls all the time on the show, whether it's Aaron Schatz who came on last year and broke down the conference championships, LeGarrette Blunt, people who have been covering Super Bowls for years or former players who have played in Super Bowls. We've talked to those people before, but rarely have we ever had immediate post-game reaction to a game that was held. Well, I mean, I say immediate, like within the week post-game reaction to a game that Emil was actually there to cover, and the person who I get to bounce ideas off of was actually in the building breaking down the Super Bowl and covering it. So I want to share this episode with all of you. We're going to talk Super Bowl. We're going to talk Steve Wilkes. We're going to talk about a whole host of other football-related topics over a fun-filled hour with myself and our friend Emil Fragoso. Also, as we've mentioned before, Emil and our friend Nate, he's been on the show before, they do an awesome podcast called Return of the Empire. You guys should absolutely check it out in your off time of not being here and listening to the hundreds of episodes that we have thrown at you because I know how much you guys love all of the hundreds of episodes that we've thrown at you over the years. When you're not listening to this podcast or the Red Rain podcast or the Slump Buster YouTube or any of the other fine programs that we have, you should definitely check out Emil and Nate's awesome podcast, Return of the Empire. So, without further ado, here is the post-Super Bowl Return of the Empire with myself and Emil Fergoso, throwing on some microphones and talking about football. I didn't name the show. Ah, Let's go, baby! It's time for the Return of the Empire podcast. One hour of all things red and gold. Return of the Empire. Here are your hosts, Sacktown Sports 49ers insider Emil Fragoso and Nate Littlefield. Yes, sir, Emil Fragoso, Kyle Ledbetter. No Nate Littlefield today. Um, this is not a happy last live show of Return of the Empire, unfortunately. Why? Did something happen? Kyle, you know what happens. Yeah, we're gonna start this early. It's it, again, Return of the Empire. Milford goes. So usually Nate, Nate Littlefield will be here. Nate Littlefield is having a well-deserved off day. Congrats to Nate on that. Kyle, we're holding it down today. I, and Kyle actually has some good perspective here because he is, I hate to say it, a Chiefs fan. I don't like that. A all. what? A Chiefs fan. Fan of the three-time Super oh, Bowl God. champion, oh, Kansas man. City. See. Why'd you got to do that and say that? It was rough. It was rough watching that. I'm going to be honest. It was rough watching that happen in Raiders Stadium and Allegiant Stadium. Not a fan of the Chiefs, as a lot of you know me growing up a Raiders fan, especially now that I cover the Niners. I do want to see the Niners win. Um, looking at the chat, yes, Jess is here. No bubbles. Uh, AJ here. Um, Ernie here. Everybody here. Megadeth here. We appreciate you. I love that all the regulars yeah. have showed up for our last live show. Thank you, everyone who was here. First time or through the rest of the season, we have appreciated every single person. We will be back next season, uh, hopefully talking about a happier ending to this show. Yeah, Niners lose Super Bowl 25-22 to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs, three Super Bowls in six years. Patrick Holmes third. Really starting to have that arc. 
That, that I'm not gonna say it, but there he's there's a couple comparisons. He's starting to get on that trajectory. There's a few comparisons we can talk about here today as well, especially on the Niners side too. Uh, I know Kyle Shanahan's the person who's kind of dominated the topic of conversation here, and for good reason because. This is now the third Super Bowl that he has blown a double-digit lead in the last seven years, which is genuinely impressive. Like, beyond the losing all the games, like, just making it to three Super Bowls in seven years. And I know one of them was as a coordinator, but just making three Super Bowls in seven years is impressive. Yeah, no, it's... Kyle himself, Shanahan, I should say, is very impressive, his resume, what he has done. And I kind of saw a common comparison of, is he just 4 Andy Reid? Because Andy Reid struggled to, to get over the hump, too, initially. And did you did you one. see that from uh, from my Twitter, perhaps, that uh, I was it, making that joke? Was so, it from your Twitter, or was it from, I think, 3-3-team-FB is what I saw it from so, on Twitter. So uh, this went a little bit viral on my Instagram, if you guys want to check it out. But basically, yeah, him and 5 Andy Reid are very similar. Both of them made four NFC Championship games in six seasons. Uh, they both get made fun of for poor clock management. Both of them lost their first NFC Championship game against the Rams. Fun yep. little note. And both teams lost the Super Bowl by three points, giving the team regarded to as a dynasty their third championship. When Andy Reid's Eagles lost to the Patriots, Tom yep. Brady and Bill Belichick's third championship. This year, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid's third championship. Yep. And that's what we're sitting at now, unfortunately, for Niner fans. And this is not a happy sh- end of the show because I was there. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Even as an unbiased journalist, as someone who covers the team day in, day out, did not grow up being a fan, it sucked. It 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 stunk that they lost this game to the Chiefs because not only were they playing as the better team for the majority of it, they had it. They were so close. Fourth quarter, they had it. Overtime, they got the ball first. All they had to do was go down and score a touchdown. But yet again, it's the, it's the question of, can Kyle Shanahan win the big one? And when I mean the big one, I mean the big game. And when I mean the big game, I mean the Super Bowl ring. Okay, so I want to do some like actual game analysis of this with you because you were there and because you have that perspective. But just 15 seconds, we're going to say Jake Moody, and then we're not going to touch it again, okay? <laughs> okay. For 15 seconds. The fact that all season the question was, can he make the 50-plus yard field goals? I know. And then he makes two in the Super Bowl, two of the four longest kicks in the history of the game, but hits every extra point in the regular season, and then only in the Super Bowl does the extra point get blocked. Not once, but twice on the same field goal. Two different people blocked that kick. Yep. And, and you were at the game, obviously, but Romo made a great analysis that was basically like, I think it was Jay Feely also, who they have like the kicking expert, but he's basically like, that one's on Moody. Moody kicked it low. Moody, you know, left it out there for the people to get. It wasn't a high snap or anything like that, you know. That they they were pretty clear about that one, and it's just ironic. He made every kick all the way through the season except the last one. I don't love giving the blame to Jake Moody on that on that block though, because it's the, it's the O line's job to block it to not let them get their hands up. Yes, but it, the the argument was just that it was a low kick. Anyways, we said 15 seconds on Moody. We're good. Let's move Jake on. Jake Moody did his job. You know what? Who didn't do their job? Kyle Shanahan's offense. Because every single time, especially early on in the game, the Niners' defense was full throttle. All breaks, no gas start this game. They were on fire, forcing the Chiefs, punt, punt, fumble, punt. That's the first four possession for the Chiefs in the two quarters. Punt, punt, fumble, punt. Kansas City's offense had been based on precision all season long. And the thing that I said when we did the the pre-pregame show two weeks ago is Mm -hmm. the Niners are going to dominate time of possession in this game. That is just a fact that is going to happen. Kansas City got the big play mm-hmm. in the first half with Michael Hardman. Which shouldn't have happened anyway because it was a bad ball. Yeah, and Gibson turned his head the wrong Completely way. missed it. 
and they got zero points out of it. Yeah. Like the, the one thing that is a problem is they were going to they controlled time of possession, they dominated time of possession, they gave up the one big play just like in the Super Bowl 4 years ago and Kansas City got no points out of it. Couldn't have asked for better stop at the beginning of the game. Kansas yep. City was frustrated. Yep. Kelsey was pushing his coach. Oh yeah. They had him on the ropes and had you were him. spot on with the defense. Had him. The defense was on fire. The the problem was is that the offense came out and were good the first drive going five plays, forty eight yards. But then Christian McCaffrey has his fourth fumble of the season in the Super Bowl. I mean, man. Missed opportunity. I love people keep bringing up, please stop showing the mic'd up videos on Inside the NFL or whatever, because you have George Kittle quitting on the play, making jokes at George Karlaftis yeah, about man. both of them being George, and then Karlaftis is the one who sees the fumble and jumps on it. I, I, it's, this is going to be a recurring theme with this show, and I'm going to talk about this. Are the Niners just cursed? Because this feels like they're a cursed franchise. It feels like they're, they're, they they cannot get over the hump, and until... Until I otherwise see it, they feel like they're cursed. I mean, how many times can this happen? Let's put a pin in that until we get to the fourth quarter. Because I think yes. that there's an interesting conversation to have at the end of the game about them being cursed. Yes. But in the first half, you're spot on about offenses executing the way they wanted to. The trick play goes for a touchdown. Because yes. Kansas City, after the, after the fumble they had, Kansas City's defense kind of stepped up. Yeah. They absolutely stepped up there. And so what's so interesting is that Kansas City... When Kansas City gets the ball right before the half and they get the field goal that makes it 10-3, to mm-hmm. they're coming out of the half with the ball and you're thinking the strategy of like, oh, okay, Kansas you know, Kansas City did the thing that Shanahan was trying so hard to do in the Packers Here comes game. the lap! Yeah, exactly. Get double possession. You can make up all the points. I know you're down 10-0 and the trick plays are working, but you can get it back. And what Kansas City does to start the second half is interception by Patrick Mahomes his first of the entire playoffs. Yep. Strangely doesn't turn into any points. Okay, the Niners punt after the interception, which, you know, we'll get, we'll get to the offense Horrible. in a sec. And then on the next drive, Kansas City gets the ball inside their own 10, burn a timeout on third down and one with yeah. 12 minutes to go in the third quarter, and then they don't pick up the third down. They have to burn a timeout to not convert a third and one. Yeah. Like, it's going perfect to start the second half for San Francisco's defense. It is. Even despite the fact that Dre Greenlaw snaps his Achilles while running back onto the field in the first half. Yeah, and we'll get to the injuries in the in, in the second segment here. But l- like you said, m- missed opportunities, not making advantage. I mean, there was a stat, and I, I believe I have this one right. After the first quarter, can you guess what the yards for each team was after the first quarter? I think Kansas City's was somewhere at like 17 or something like that, but I don't remember what the Niners had. The 49ers had 125 yard, total yards at the first quarter. The Chiefs had 16. Yeah. 16 in the score was 0-0. Yeah. Right there I got worried because the Niners, this has been a whole thing with the Niners. You have to take advantage of the drives you have, especially with this Chiefs team. And I said this in the pre-pre-show before you even went down to Vegas. If you allow... Mahomes and the Chiefs to stay in this game for too long, they will find a way and they will burn you. And guess what? They found a way and they burned you. And that's the reality is that the Niners were right there. Right there. And they just couldn't do enough to get over the hump. Especially because as soon as that happened, as soon as that happened, Kyle Shanahan went into default mode. And what I mean by that is Brock Purdy... Yes. Who, again, you know, 
people have had the Brock Purdy, Jimmy Garoppolo conversation for a while. Like, we don't know how good Brock Purdy is or isn't, I think, at this point, And that's fair. He's in his second year, has had all this talent around him. We know he's better than Jimmy Garoppolo because yes. Jimmy Garoppolo in that system last year was putting up worse numbers than Brock Purdy. At the same time, Brock Purdy went 18 minutes of game time and 93 minutes of real life time without completing a pass from seven minutes left in the second quarter until four minutes left in the third quarter. 18 minutes without completing a pass. Shanahan could not resist when he got that lead, keeping it away from the quarterback, just letting his system hold on to the lead. And the system wasn't working because even me and Jay Johnson, who who was there there at the game, we were watching him, they kept running Debo as a disguise on the on the motion, and every single time they did that, you knew it was coming. Inside left, so McCaffrey. Inside left, so McCaffrey. They were stacking eight in the box for the same reason. Inside left, so McCaffrey. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was it was either Jarius Sneed or it was Trent McDuffie that said after the game, we wanted Purdy to throw the ball, and they and they did that. In fairness, it wasn't like oh we're sitting on the ball to dominate clock. No, he threw like five consecutive incomplete passes to start the second half, and the mm-hmm. only completion they had at the end of the first half was. Juwan Jennings' trick play yeah. to Christian McCaffrey. And I'm not even blaming Brock Perry for this game. I think Brock Perry played pretty well in the face of danger. I mean, he was pressured on 50% of his dropbacks. No, th- that's a Shanahan thing. It, going 18 consecutive minutes without completing a pass is the, the is a decision strategically made by your team. And it, it's a conversation we will have in the third segment with Steve Wilkes of who's actually the scapegoat? Who's actually at fault here? Because I think there's a lot of blame to go every single way. But it's it's the idea of you win the way that you got there, which is hilarious now because, you know, the Falcons won, they kind of fell apart, execution was poor, all that stuff. But each of the last two Super Bowls, it's been the same game of once we get a 10-point lead, Shan- nobody's better in the league than Shanahan at sitting on a 10-point lead, except when you're playing that quarterback. Because you're playing the best quarterback alive when you know he yeah. can come back from ten from down 10 in a heartbeat. He's I mean, done it. Every time there was that stat that uh, quarterbacks that are down seven points or more in the fourth quarter all time in the playoffs have a 40 percent success rate. Brady had a 45 percent success rate. Drew Brees had a 50 percent success rate. Patrick Mahomes is seven for seven in getting the seven points back. Seven for seven. This the system works, except in this exceptional case. And, And for the second quarter into the third, it was we're going to sit on the ball. We're going to try and throw passes one-on-one against McDuffie, one-on-one against Legereus Sneed, and it's just, it's not going to work, which... No, it didn't work. And I give them credit, like, if they win that game at the end, Jawan Jennings probably wins Super Bowl MVP, and I think that's a testament to Shanahan and the game plan that they had coming in. It's like, okay, McDuffie's going to be one-on-one with Debo, Sneed's going to be one-on-one with Ayuk, we'll just kill you one-on-one with Edwards guarding Jawan, and have Jawan execute the trick play pass that they had been setting up all first half like that's a testament to their success it was just not getting Brock involved when you had a 10-point lead was a bit of a mistake becoming one-dimensional when you have a 10-point lead has been a problem for Shanahan absolutely has been it's been a problem for Shanahan this offense and we even said it in the playoffs we said it going into the out out of the regular season you cannot just give the ball to McCaffrey and get the hell out of the way you have to make it interesting you got to give different people you got to get everyone involved you got to use misdirection I mean they ran one misdirection toss one halfback toss and every time they ran something different than the inside left zone it worked because guess what the Chiefs were expecting you to run the inside left zone because I was expecting you to run the inside left zone and if I'm expecting it, guess what? Steve Spagnuolo is also expecting it. Which Steve Spagnuolo deserves a lot of credit, especially on the third downs for forcing some of those incompletions on Purdy, the same way that they forced incompletions on Josh Allen. Like, their their blitz packages affected the timing of a lot of these throws, yeah. which 
when we get to the end of the game, we can talk about the the third and four with McDuffie blitzing on the edge or the third down at the goal line where Jennings had him beat. And then, you know, some offensive linemen have been calling each other out for missing blocks that allowed Chris Jones a free not rush. Only Jennings was, not only Jennings was free there, but also Ayuk who just beat, sneaked clean off the line for the slam. I mean, he was opener than open. Yep. Like 7-11 open back there in the end zone. Uh-huh. And, Jen, and, and if Purdy has time to set his feet and throw that pass without the greatest clutch defensive lineman of recent NFL playoff history running at him, then, you know, Jennings is the one catching that touchdown and even better case for him to win Super Bowl MVP. Now, here's the problem. The one play I will discredit Brock for, we have to go to break here in a second, was the third and four with with almost two minutes left. You have Ayuk in the slant, and he's open. Yeah. Go to Ayuk. I don't know why he didn't go to Ayuk. I don't know if he saw him or not, but but again, McDuffie came off the blitz and forced Brock's hand, and Brock made the wrong read there. Brock made a mistake. He's 24 years old. He'll improve. He's fine. But that was the the difference maybe in that game because if they get that first down, tick, 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 the clock keeps going. It's a first down. The Chiefs probably don't come back, but everything kept lining up, up for them, and that's how that went. And we have to go to break here in a second. Return of the Empire, Milfergoso. Kyle Ledbetter doing co-hosting and producing duties today. Nate is on a well-deserved day off. We'll be back giving updates on from the game as well as injuries. Thank you for listening. Sacktown Sports. Welcome back to the Return of the Empire podcast. With Emil Fergoso and Nate Littlefield. March continues. The march for the Empire continues. The quest for Super Bowl six sadly extended 29 years because the Niners did not win Super Bowl 58. They lost the Chiefs instead for a second time in a row. Yay, the Jedis blew up the Death Star. Oh, my Having the Chiefs for the Jedis is actually kind of wild to even think about. And yeah. I, don't think I, I don't think I agree, but maybe it does for the show we agree. They were definitely the first time, but yeah, you want to call yourself the Empire? Watch what... This is... This is, this um, is how this works, yeah. Yeah, this is the end of Last Jedi, basically. This is the end of Episode 3, the second time yeah. blowing up the Niner Death Star. The Niners came back stronger than ever, and Kansas City blew up the Death Star a second time. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Mil- Milfergoso, Kyle Ledbetter, and Nate Littlefield's off for the day. Still recovering from this loss. I kind of am, too. I'm sad. I'm, I'm going to be awesome. sad about this still. This still hurt. It hurt to be a part of. It hurt to watch. I really thought for a second there they were going to do it. Sounds like losers. Oh, my God. See, see what happens when you have the Mahomes fandom in here. I don't like Mahomes. Well, I respect Mahomes. I don't like the Chiefs. This, uh, this yeah. one is funny for even me because my entire fan philosophy going into this playoffs was just don't let it be Josh Allen that beats us. <laughs> if they had lost to Baltimore, fine. They fine. weren't better than Baltimore in the regular season. Fine. Yeah. If they lost this game, fine. The people I care about around here would be happy. Yeah. Some of my best friends would be happy. Fine. fine. I've already won two. I didn't think I'd ever get one. Just this is this year's the best because it was the worst of the Kansas City teams. Remember when the bandwagon left the Chargers to be a fan of a team in the same division? Okay, whatever. Well, a fan of not the team itself, the fan of their their beautiful quarterback who, Mr. Kermit. Yeah, over time has evolved greater. How great is it for me? I predicted back in 2019 that this would happen. How oh. cool is that? I, I told like, you. You sound like Nick Wright right now. Ugh. Me and Nick Wright. Think how funny that is. Me and Nick Wright picked the lane of we saw that. This quarterback was going to be great, and now he's great, just like we all saw. It's just we had the we had the audacity to say Patrick Mahomes pretty great at football. 
We were the ones with the. Uh, I've been saying this is the I best like quarterback this. to pick like up a this. football, and he's got the greatest offensive head coach in NFL history. That makes your problems a whole lot easier. Man, that's a statement to say, but man, man it's mean, between him and Bill Walsh, right? I guess so. And yeah. and Andy Reid's been doing it a whole lot longer than Bill Walsh was doing it in San I, Francisco. I uh, yeah no I, get I won't it. do that on this Niner <laughs> as, podcast. As Jess in the chat just says, why is Kyle even here? Ha ha ha! Respectfully. Well, yeah, I mean. <laughs> Nate, if Nate had won today, maybe I would have been the one in uh, in recovery. Maybe, Who knows? Yeah, maybe maybe Kyle would be taking the day off instead. Anyways, let's get back to the fourth quarter of this game real quick because yeah, yeah. we were talking about McDuffie and the we were talking about the pass that Purdy had went with the wrong read, great blitz dialed up, all that stuff. They give the ball back to Kansas City instead of being able to sit on the ball until at the very least. 30 seconds left, Kansas City with no timeouts, right? Yeah. So then we get to overtime. Yeah. And uh, do we want to talk about coin toss rules or not? Because I, I think... We, we think it's an important conversation because Kyle Husek didn't know the overtime rules. Rick sure Armstead other... said he was reading them on the board. Yeah, yeah. a few of them did not know. Brock knew because he was going over a greasy, but the rest of them... I don't think they knew it, and they didn't really seem to be very confident after the game. Yep, that seems to be the case. Which is just, man, crazy. Yeah, so my philosophy on this was was this point. And I, I understood people were saying take the ball second because of college overtime rules. You want to know what you did. It worked out great for Kansas City because they could go for it on that fourth down where they pulled out. Yep. <laughs> From as far as I've seen this year, the first time they ran a read option all season long, which is pretty funny. Uh, they you pulled it knew, out in that moment. You just knew it was going to be in, in, in Patrick Mahomes' hands, though. On the third down, the fourth down, you just knew it was going to be in his hands. But not just with Pat, in Patrick Mahomes' hands, with Kelsey blocking for him out in front also. <sighs> which, you know, you put it in the hands of your two best players. Anyways, I bring this up to say, there was literally, like, people talk about the data and the sample size to pick from and stuff like that. There is literally no data for what to do in this situation. Okay. It's the first time it's ever happened. I get what you're saying. I get it. So in that sense, you can defend the decision to keep the ball or not go or or give it away. Bill Barnwell brought up the point that like analytically he didn't think it was that much of a difference, but here's the thing, no one has any data to go off of. It's the first yeah. time this overtime rule has ever been used. There is literally no data to base it off of. Correct. And a lot of what analytics is based on is years and years and thousands of data points that have been collected. Yeah. So I understood in that sense Shanahan taking the ball first, but also if you follow the the overtime college rules, everyone wants to take the ball second cuz you want to know what you you want you want to know what the other person did. It's kind of like blackjack that way. You want to be the dealer and being the, the the second person up is the dealer. You're the blackjack dealer. You know what hands going to be called. You got you got the next step. You know what what's going to come afterwards. Kyle just Shanahan explained it as that we want to be third. We wanted the ball third, which I didn't really love the explanation of, like, why would you want it third? You kind of no, want it second. It doesn't make sense because his, his initial explanation post-game, and he kind of modified it by Monday, but his initial explanation was, we wanted the ball third, or we wanted the ball when the game became sudden death yep. third. But that's that's not true. The game becomes sudden death on the second possession. Correct. You can match the score of the other person to extend the game, but it is sudden death. Like, y- you can lose the game right there. My, my theory was that... If you get the ball first, you're not in four down territory. You're in three yeah. down territory. If you get the ball second, and and especially if the, the first team scored, you're in four down territory regardless. Yeah, you're in do or die mode, which I think is better for a team trying to win a game to be in do or die mode than prevent mode. Which again comes back to Shanahan being a little too passive in situations to be more aggressive in. And what changes the the 
the game theory a little bit is Kansas City was essentially playing that final drive with four downs on every possession. Including and, a fourth and one, Patrick Mahomes took the read option and got eight yards out of it. Exactly. And by the way, something that's kind of funny, if you look at the, the two drives in overtime, I believe both were 12 plays, both started at the 25-yard line. So if the Niners had scored on that last Jennings play, it would have been 75 yards. Mm-hmm. And both of them were basically seven and a half minutes. Because the the, the, the the winning touchdown came with three seconds left in the game. Yep. Both teams essentially had the exact same drive in overtime. Ate up the same amount of clock time, yep. etc. The only difference is on third and eight, Chris Jones went unblocked up the middle and disrupted the Brock Purdy pass. And on uh, first down and goal, I'm sorry, on uh, the play right before that they went to Kelsey that set up first and goal, yep. um, San Francisco wasn't able to force them into a fourth down situation. And then once not. they got first and goal at the three, I mean, it was game over. Which, again, Travis Kelsey was hit a good four yards behind the, the line to gain and somehow muscled his way through all that and got the first down. I still know how he did it because I, I'm he caught the ball four yards behind the line to gain and got through like three defenders to do it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So that's kind of the difference in the game. They essentially both teams ran the same drive in overtime, which I give Kansas City so much. As someone who's been following this team, I think it's interesting, and I don't have time to detail the whole point. This is more for a full podcast that I did. But like Kansas City essentially in two years went from an explosive, high-powered offense to a precision-based offense and then out San Francisco'd San Francisco at the end of the game, which I think is incredibly impressive in and of its own right. To be able to win Super Bowls and pivot like that to to completely reinvent yourself is amazing. But When they traded Tyreek Hill, everyone was up in arms, including myself. You're trading the best receiver in the NFL. What are you doing? You don't trade guys like this. Kelsey's the older tight end. you got to have a receiver in Mahomes. And for a second there, especially this season... It seemed like we were right, but then again, it comes down to who who the hell is your quarterback, and if it's Patrick Mahomes, you can figure it out. And I don't want to, that's the thing that I brought up the whole time, which is, yes, they're going to have problems, but your problems get infinitely easier when you have the best quarterback to ever pick up a football and the best offensive head coach in the history of the sport. That makes all your problems a little bit easier. But the thing that's interesting yeah. about the tree kill trade itself is... They essentially only got back one piece in the trade because they traded some picks. Uh, they, they used the second round pick on Sky Moore, which is like, you know, that was a mistake. Yeah, he, a did, mistake. he didn't play because he was hurt, but he's still, a you know, he hasn't given them as much as they'd like. The only piece that turned into something was the first round pick, yep. pick 21, that became Trent McDuffie. McDuffie yep. Trent McDuffie's and a dog. Trent McDuffie had a had a you can lockstep all yep, night, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And, and, they also got Leo Chanel out of that, which honestly, he's like their fourth middle linebacker. But if you look at the pro football focus grades, I think he had the highest pro football focus grade on the Kansas City was, defense. Again, Brett Veach, the, the general manager, did a hell of a job with yeah. that trade. Did a hell of a job drafting. All props to them. It's just the Niners had this. The Niners had this game. They should have won this game, and they didn't. And that's what the hard part is to think about right now. The Dre Green injury was absolutely brutal. Yeah. Changed a lot of the things that were going on for that game. Yeah, I saw that mic'd up, and Fred Warner was genuinely shaken by oh, I, that we injury. Oh, we all were shaken by it, dude. We were sh- we didn't know what. As soon as I saw the replay on 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 social media, because I'm far away from the stadium, I didn't see him. I didn't see him go down initially. I just saw him on the ground. I said, "Oh, that's the Achilles." Damn. That I was like, "Damn, man!" Because because again, he went into Week 18 in the regular season with Achilles tendonitis. Went into the Green Bay game with Achilles tendonitis. We thought, okay, it's just a whatever injury, a a a, a nick, a scratch. Again. People get, you know, banged up all the time, right? All the time football. It's just whatever. 
Turned out it was a real injury because Drake Greenlaw tore his Achilles or ruptured his Achilles, I should say. I didn't want to say in the moment, like I'm watching, I'm like, I don't want to say he tore his Achilles, but that was kind of pretty clear. I saw the pop. What I saw, happened? I the saw moment. the people because they, they, they first said it was an ankle injury. And I was like, no, that's that's an Achilles. I can just kind of tell. You can kind of tell when Achilles injuries is, especially when it's non, non-contact like that. Yeah, I totally get that. And uh, our friend Simone, basically, we were watching the game together, and she pointed out the fact that, like, oh, they're bringing the card out. That's probably going to be the end for him. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty good point. Yeah, if they're bringing the card out yeah. that quickly, they kind of know what the deal is there. The yeah. only person who didn't really have much of a reaction was Shanahan. Shanahan was like, the mic'd up that they showed was like, did Dre just get hurt running onto the field yeah. was basically his reaction to it. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm devastated by this, which w- you kind of have to be. It was like, did that really just happen? Did that really just happen to my team right now? Did that, like, he got hurt not playing football? Yeah. And it, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. I thought I was just cursed because that's a cursed injury to happen right there. That's so now, a cursed thing. Now we can bring that back into the focus now that we've talked about the game because... The blocked extra point yep. after Moody made every extra point he attempted all season. That blocked extra point, plus taking the ball first in overtime, plus I guess you could say the the McDuffie play, which forced them into prevent defense. Because basically, once it was one fifty one and a three point lead with two timeouts, they just let Kansas City walk down the field. Basically, oh yeah. And I, I honestly wasn't the worst strategy in the world because they they were able to. No, Only was. give them one shot at the end zone at the end, but it, I'm, gonna be on, I'm gonna be honest, dude. I wasn't level what was being what was being called with Steve Wilkes, and we'll get to Steve Wilkes in the third segment of that prevent defense that was being called because it didn't yeah. make any sense. Um, but again, if you get Patrick Mahomes anything over a minute, I feel pretty confident he's going to figure out a way to drive down that field. Yeah, it, and that, that, that's the Brady effect. So what's interesting about that from the San Francisco curse standpoint is like, yeah, you're playing against the great. The greats of all time. And I guess if you want to go back to the 2012 Super Bowl against the Ravens, they weren't really playing against the greats of all time, except for, I guess, some of the players on that defense. But and Joe, Elite quarterback that is Joe Flacco? Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't kind of the same there. But the last two years, or I mean the last two Super Bowls, I think you can kind of chalk those up to just small in-game decisions from the coach. Because we've walked out of both of these Super Bowls pointing the finger at Shanahan. To a degree, yes. Yes. And I think those are things that as Shanahan will go on throughout his career, he will learn from and adapt from. I mean, we we saw it with Andy Reid. We saw it with uh, Mike Tomlin as he got into the, the Le'Veon Bell, um, Antonio Brown, Ben Roethlisberger, Killer B's years. Like, he got so much oh, better yeah. at managing the clock on offense where, like, offense was kind of holding the team back in some of those years that they got to the Super Bowl. So, uh-huh. like, I think with time, there will be a learning curve in that. And I think... That doesn't. That also doesn't help the 49ers very much in the short term. Just doesn't help them. My philosophy on the Niners being cursed in the playoffs, not even the Super Bowl in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Look at what happened last year at the championship game. Brock Purdy tears his UCL in the first series of the game. That's a curse thing, dude. That that that's just bad karma, bad juju. Drake Greenlaw tearing his Achilles on a non-contact, bad juju. Muff punt off some guy's foot off Darrell Luter's foot, bad juju. Blocked. Extra point when he hasn't missed one all year. Bad juju. Yeah, there's, I understand. There's a black cat running around this franchise, like Stephen A. says. You know, as someone who doesn't really, you know, point to the juju or bad karma aspects of sports in that way, my initial instinct is to say these are the little moments in every football game that decide, you know, the, when games are so tightly yeah. contested, it is those weird flip plays that make a difference. I know 
Saints fans will complain that they're cursed because of the non-call pass interference at the uh, end. Or, yeah, two years ago, Jaquaski Tart dropping the interception that would have taken them to the Super Bowl. Yep. You know. You, Thank you for mentioning that, Rockin. Thank. I knew there was some one more. I was yeah. There. Rockin was in there with the, the Jaquaski Tart drop. Like you could point to that and say those are the little moments within football games that end up deciding some of these games. Or you can point to it and feel cursed because the Niners consistently come out on the wrong side of these results. Yes. Because like. Getting down against Detroit and Green Bay were surprising, but both of those games at the end you could point to and then basically be like, the Niners said, we are better than this team, therefore let's play like we are more talented and better than this team. Mm -hmm. That wasn't necessarily the case against Kansas City, despite the fact that they were the better and more talented team than Kansas City, and for the most part played as good of a game as Kansas City. Went toe-to-toe with them. Again, they held them the 19 points going into the last drive in in the OT. They held them the 19 points. Yeah, like you, you got you got to give them credit, right? You got to give. I mean, if, again, if you went into Super Fifty Eight and you gave like a, a look ahead and said, "Hey, the Niners' defense will hold Patrick Mahomes to nineteen points," you feel pretty good about the Niners' chances of winning of, of winning that game, wouldn't you? If you give me that detail and say, Juwan Jennings is going to throw a touchdown pass to Christian McCaffrey, sure. If you give me both of those details, because like Kansas City won these playoff games by basically scoring the same number of points. I won't put it out there like, oh, that's so impossible. No, this was a really good defense for Kansas City, but that doesn't necessarily mean the Niners weren't in a great position to win. Hence why they had the lead in overtime yeah, of just, the Super Bowl. And just like the chat saying, you know, going back to Kyle Williams, muff pump versus Giants, Tart, you know, obviously intercepted against the Rams. It's just the little things that swing the game, like Kyle was talking about too. It's the little things in the big games that matter the most, and that's what's the difference here in this game. 25-22, Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, Niners losing another one. Yep. And and that that's the reality. We got to go to break? Yeah, we got to go to break. One last thing to mention. Uh, we found out Eric Armstead tore his meniscus back in yeah, December 3rd, played through it. Um, yeah, I don't know what his future holds with the 49ers, whether they'll bring him back or not, but we can talk about that on another episode too. We'll discuss that after the break, actually. We're going to go into the injuries and look at look at Steve Wilkes as well. But here, Milford Goso, Kyle Ledbetter, back in this moment. Welcome back to the Return of the Empire podcast with Emil Fergoso and Nate Littlefield. Seven seconds, six. They are going to snap it. Mahomes going to roll to his right, throws, touchdown. The Chiefs have won the Super Bowl. Nicole Hardman. As they roll Mahomes right, Nicole Hardman is wide open. And the Chiefs win the Super Bowl back to back years. Another heartbreaking loss for Kyle Shanahan. Why are you the way you are? Uh, We can go back to my Joker origin story of uh, being forced to watch the Chargers play football for 10 years. Let me get some... I didn't even ask him to do that. He just said, I have a highlight for you. And I said, wait, a highlight? Wait a second. And then that just played. The last play of the Super Bowl. That's not a highlight. Depends for this show is not a highlight. Depends on your perspective. It was the most important play of the game, was it not? Yeah. Uh, the, the second ever walk-off right. touchdown. All right. all right, all right, all right. Anyway, return to the Empire. Milford goes so Kyle Ledbetter, Nate Littlefield's off, still recovering from Super. I think the games. whimsical music makes the score better too. Just the whimsical music playing behind it as the Niners lose in the most heartbreaking fashion a Super Bowl could end in. It's just, it's wonderful. He's just getting his licks out of this, man. I, I at least I didn't play the swag surfing song thank today. Thank you for not playing the swag surf. It's the last thank show. You so I didn't, I didn't want to instigate that. that much violence. Yeah, because I think I take off my headphones and walk out. I happens. think. 
Nate would have thrown that chair through the glass window. Yeah, Nate. Nate wouldn't have even put up with the highlight you just played. He would have walked out for sure. Yeah, I know. But you're 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 a tormented Raider fan. You're at least chill about it. See, I'm used to 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 losing games as a tormented Raider fan, and you were too as a tormented Chargers fan. But then you gave that up and went to the Chiefs. I'm a seven year recovering Charger fan, and I am a happier, healthier, more well balanced human being as a result <laughs> of that decision. I would recommend it. Anyone who roots for bad teams. Get off that narcotic. You're going to be a whole lot happier. Just saying. Oh, my God. This is great. Okay, anyway. Last segment, unfortunately. I know the final countdown Aww. is on uh, for the for Return of the Empire Live. Um, yeah, Rock, and I, I, I did grow up a Raider fan. Again, it's hard to quit that team. I, I, I don't like them. It's, as they moved to Vegas, I really don't take too much of it in, but it's hard to quit the team you grew up liking. So, anyway, uh, this is a Niners show. It's a Niners sport. And you know what I have to talk about? Steve Wilkes. Let's do it. Swan song to Steve Wilkes because Tuesday, when the Niners gave their bi- goodbye pressers, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch said they expected most of their coaches to be back. Yes, they would deliberate on some stuff, but they expected most coaches to be back, and that was a direct answer to answering, is Steve Wilkes coming back? We expect most of our coaches to come back. Well, a day later, and here's how this went down. I am at the True Sports sports Cards and Collectibles store in Rockland, California. Shout out to them, by the way. Nice plug. I know, right? Um, I'm, I'm I'm there saying hi to, hi to the client, just talking to some people, talking about the game, my experience at, at Super Bowl 58. And then I see a, a tweet. A, a tweet. Kyle Shannon's calling an emergency press co- a conference call in five minutes. And then I look at the schedule. Oh, there's an emergency conference call in five minutes. They give us a five minutes heads up. And as soon as I saw that, I said... Oh no, something about to go down. And sure enough, it was Steve Wilkes has been relieved of his duties. Kyle Shanahan announced that Wednesday midday, Steve Wilkes, after one season, is no longer the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. And let me be honest, it was shocking. Early in the day, I said I'd be surprised if he was let go because of what Kyle said the day previous and because it was year one going into year two. But after doing some reflecting, thinking about it, it made a whole lot of sense. It really did. There were signs throughout the season that Steve Wilkes' tenure with the Niners would be short. Steve Wilkes was using this job as a springboard, and as Tim Kawakami of The Athletic said with his Niners coordinator position especially, this job, there are so many expectations layered into it, but one where if you succeed, you're supposed to, and you can probably get a higher position at the next convenient moment. But if you fail, it's all on you. And unfortunately, Steve Wilkes found out about the latter, and it was all on him, and some people are calling him the scapegoat. So Kyle... Let me ask you, is Steve Wilkes a scapegoat? He doesn't need to be a scapegoat because the only reason a coach would scapegoat in that sense is to protect their own head in the same way that Sean McDermott kind of scapegoated Ken Dorsey on the way out the door despite the fact that Buffalo had a top five defense that year Mm -hmm. or this last year. So I don't think Kyle Shanahan's in a position where he needs a scapegoat. Like they could have brought back Steve Wilkes next year and I don't think a lot of people would have complained. I think this is more the vibes in the building more than it is anything else. And that's where I laid out too. Was I I wrote a couple things this week about Steve Wilkes. I wrote them yesterday. One about who the next candidates are going to be, which we'll get to in a second. And two, the three signs that Steve Wilkes' tenure with the Niners was coming to a close early. And they kind of came all at once, it felt like, especially the first two, because the first one came week seven in the zero blitz blunder when Steve Wilkes called the zero blitz before the half that allowed a Jordan Addison 60-something yard touchdown. And then Kyle publicly undermined his coordinator, and then Steve had to give it a public apology. There was all that thing. Then, a week later, when Joe Burrow and the Bengals torched him for 400 net yards, 
Steve Oaks had to come down from the booth after the bye week, and Steve didn't want to do that. Steve wanted to coach from the booth. Kyle wanted his guy to, to be on the ground. The players wanted their coach, to, the coordinator, to be on the ground. And then the kicker, or the final straw, I should say, the run defense. The Niners went from being number one and number two in the NFL in consecutive seasons at run defense to number, drum roll please, 26 in the NFL. That's pretty bad. That's downright unacceptable. And there's a reason why Steve Wilkes was let go. Because of that. Because of, just like it says in, in, in the chat, rocking at week three, you can sense the defense and Wilkes had a disconnect. You could sense a disconnect early on. You could. You thought they would work past it, but they couldn't. There are a bajillion quotes that came out from this. And one that I'm, I'm going to read from week seven when the zero blitz blunder happened. From, this is from Steve Wilkes. This defense is a unique defense, and there are certain things that go with that particular defense. I'm learning that. That's certain things that you there's certain things that you can't sway away from. So, again, that's why I'm not panicking. I know we have the personnel, I know we have the talent. I just gotta do a better job putting them in a position. Not a lot of confidence from your coordinator at week seven, I should say, that things are going smoothly. So, yes. That's that's where this lies, is that Steve Wilkes, and this is where I stand on this, is that Steve Wilkes was not the scapegoat. There were obvious signs, including when Kyle Shanahan had to call a timeout to get out of a cover zero blitz because Steve Wilkes was calling prevent defense against Patrick Mahomes for some reason. There was a sign, there was a problem, and now there was an admission that this is the wrong hire by Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in the first place. And that's where this lies. I think all of that is very fair to make the assessment on. That's why they ended up moving on because they even though they don't have a ton of candidates out on the board, most of the defensive coordinator positions have been filled. I don't believe Steve Wilkes is going to find another defensive coordinator job this coming cycle because most of the positions have been filled. Maybe not in the NFL. Maybe he goes back to college for a second. Maybe he becomes a position coach. Again, an excellent secondary coach. Did a great job with Javarius Ward and Diamador Lenore this year. And I bring that up to say, despite that fact, they still felt like they needed to make some sort of change at the defensive coordinator position, which I think is, like you said, it's it's an admission of making the wrong mistake. And I think after one year, the vibes just weren't right there. I mean, I haven't seen too many players come aggressively to the defense of Steve Wilkes at the end of this firing. And if his greatest crime is that he wasn't D'Amico Ryan's or, you know, if some peop- some players have stuck around long enough, if he isn't Robert Sala, mm-hmm. it's a high bar to hit as a defensive coach. And I understand if he came up short of that, because expecting anyone to be that is is almost impossible. And Steve knew the task he was undertaking when he took the job a year ago. He knew the challenges. He knew the expectations. He knew what it was. But he also knew the, the rewards would be a Super Bowl ring. But in Steve Wilkes' defense, I could also stand there in that exit press or that exit meeting with coach and general manager and say here's why I deserve a second year at this job oh, and yeah. have evidence that he could present I think it was just kind of a, a, a you can defend the decision either way type of move I was surprised when they did make the move just because I didn't think they wanted to start over from scratch on that defense and and maybe the simplest answer is that they promote Chris Kasarek and try the you know promote internally type of situation but I was a bit surprised that after that Super Bowl where they were that close to winning, they decided to just start, start from scratch essentially on the defense with no, I mean, maybe they plan to hire internally, but with no real plan to replace Wilkes, them just saying we are better off without him as defensive coordinator next year. 
I have one more quote to give you before I go on to what you said, because I do have a lot of thoughts as well who the next guy is going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be internal. I think it'll be external. We'll get to that in a second. Final quote, and this was on from Tuesday on Locker Room Cleanout Day from Nick Bosa. The zone read got us a couple times. We could have been more prepared there. We have to know in cru- crucial situations who is going to have the ball, and obviously it's Mahomes. That is the most damning quote that you do not have any confidence in your defensive coordinator. And, we, and when you say, we should have been more prepared there. We should have been more prepared there. Not I, we should have been more prepared there. Nick Bosa, the defensive line, and even the linebackers, Stop believing in Steve Wilkes' game planning to the point where prior to week eight, prior to the bye week, they were leaning on defensive line coach Chris Kasarek for the play calling because Steve Wilkes was up in the box. The communication was not there. It wasn't right. It's why he had to come down from the booth to the damn field because they weren't seeing the eyes correctly. They weren't seeing what Steve was wanting from them. They were leaning on Kasarek. And when you're leaning on another coach to relay the signals from the actual coordinator, recipe for disaster. Rescue for disaster. And that's where they stand right now is that the Niners need to figure out who that next guy is going to be. And they damn sure better hit it because otherwise Kyle Shanahan probably on the hot seat. I'm not going to go that far. However, the narrative will start to grow that Kyle doesn't understand defense because that's the other thing that is part of it too is Kyle likes running defenses a specific way. Wilkes kind of jibed against that. Yep. Shanahan wasn't willing to relinquish control to Wilkes, especially because, again, the vibes weren't really right in the locker room from what I can understand. Yep. So let's talk about real quick some of these people that they can hire with our last few minutes because yes. some of those people, you're going to have to relinquish some control. And I saw a bunch of 49ers fans on Twitter were talking about they want to go after Belichick, and I was just a bit surprised because I didn't think that they love Steve Belichick like that, you know? <laughs> Stop it. You know, Steve is, you know, he's been a defensive play caller before. I just, I was surprised that people were so involved no. in the Steve Belichick game. We're talking about the white whale, the big fish, the big kahuna, if you will. Okay. Bill Belichick, Mr. Super Bowl, Mr. Greatest Coach of All Time, Aww. Bill Belichick. You guys are so, this is where this is where I understand the people who are making fun of Niner fans for for dipping their toe in that delusional cowboy fan waters because you think that Nantucket's own Bill Belichick, <laughs> who has won six Super Bowls, I understand. wouldn't take the Falcon head coaching job because he couldn't have enough control over that organization. You're telling me that Bill Belichick is going to uproot his life to go to Northern California to be a defensive coordinator with a coach that he already doesn't like because he was forced to make the trade of Jimmy Garoppolo to him in the first place. You're telling me that's a thing that could ever possibly happen. I am. Delusional 49er fans up in arms. That is never, ever, not in 20 years going to happen. May I speak? Yes. Okay. First of all, the Atlanta Falcons didn't want Bill Belichick, not the other way around. They were interested in Belichick. Arthur Blank wanted Bill Belichick. The general manager, Terry Fontenau, and I forget McKay's first name. Rich, yeah. Thank you, Rich McKay. They didn't want Belichick because if they knew he came in, he's cleaning house. Yes. They chose Raheem Morris because they knew it would buy them time. This is the problem sometimes when you have front office executives who are on borrowed time. Which it depends on who has the power, because if you remember when Kansas City had a head coaching opening, Andy Reid went to interview there, but he didn't like Scott Pioli. So you know what Kansas City did? They fired Scott Pioli and gave Andy Reid the power. So it just depends on what you want to do organizationally. Again, I, again. yes. 
there's one organization that wouldn't even give him the power, and it's probably the Niners with Bill Belichick. They wouldn't give him any power. They would let Kyle still be the guy, and frankly, if he's Bill Belichick, you're winning, you could win another Super Bowl by just being the defensive coordinator with the most talent you've ever had on defense. But you're not considering Bill's feelings in this at all. No, I understand what you're. I understand yeah. what you're saying. Again, it's what. What does Bill want to do? What does does Bill want to take a year off? He can take a year off, or does he want to win a Super Bowl ring? Because this is his the, the team ready made at year what seventy two years old. If he wants to win a Super Bowl ring and just be a coach and just get back to the fundamentals, get back to the roots, this is an option. Now, do I think it's going to happen? I give it less like likability than I would for the next person I'm about to say which is Mike Vrabel. That's the interesting one. Yes. So let's talk about Mike Vrabel for a second because he is a coach of the year. We thought he would have his pick of the litter of whichever job he wanted in this year's cycle. None of them really came after him. Diana Rossini had that weird report that like people were intimidated by his presence in interviews and That's something like that. That's called loser mentality. Yeah, so what do we think about Vrabel? I mean, he would obviously be a slam dunk hire as a defensive coordinator, but that comes back to Shanahan's going to probably have to relinquish some level of control. Maybe this the defense. I mean, Kyle would take the offense and Bravel, you take the defense. I don't think Kyle trusted Steve Wilkes. I think that was a problem. That was the reason why there was a disconnect. Because they didn't trust him. They didn't trust his play calling. They trust Vrabel. They'll trust Vrabel's play calling. But him and Salah were in lockstep for years when they were together. And he was okay releasing that, relinquishing that control because they shared a vision on defense. And I think D'Amico, to some extent, had that same Correct. idea. But yes. the players just loved D'Amico so much that oh, dude. you know he could sense the vibe there. But with Vrabel, they have no history of working together. They have no history of a prior relationship. Where is that trust going to come from? Do you trust his reputation as a defensive play caller to relinquish That's that control? That's where it comes from. It comes from being a former linebacker. It comes from being a, a leader of men. It comes from bringing success to another franchise. That's yeah. that's where this comes from. And if you're Kyle Shanahan, if you're John Lynch, if you're Jed York, you need the best available person for this job. And that is Mike freaking Vrabel, who is 48 years old, the energy guy on the field who's going to bring it every single time, the passion, going to going to teach people from the front to the back, going to connect the, the, the secondary to the defensive line, going to bring everybody together. That is Mike freaking Vrabel. And if you have a chance to hire Mike Vrabel, you do it and you give some responsibility. Kyle, whether you like it or not, he should do it. Not you, Kyle. Kyle yes. Shanahan. It requires a certain level of self-awareness that you know time will tell if Kyle Shanahan and, has that. And I think that's what this, this firing of Wilkes signals, that Kyle is coming under some self-awareness of, we need to change something and it has to happen right now or it's never happening. Or that this guy wasn't really it. And I know some people are saying like in one year, Robert Sala will have a nine year, he can have the job for as long as he wants type of yeah. thing. And I don't think that's the the answer for San Francisco. It's no. let's see if we can hit a, a higher right here, which I think Chris Kasarek might not be the worst idea in the world either. Here's why Chris Kasarek will not be it. He doesn't want it. Chris Kasarek does not want the job. Okay. Same with Johnny Holland. Doesn't want the job. Unfortunately, when it comes to D-line coaches, they are really good at their specific group and only want to coach their, their specific group. Because of that, they don't want to make that jump to, the, to do all of it. They're okay in their role. And I'm not saying that as like a de demonstrative thing or anything like that. Chris Kassarik is one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL. He wants to keep being one of the best defensive line coaches in the NFL, whether that's here or elsewhere with D'Amico or elsewhere somewhere else in the NFL. That's what his calling is. And, he, and they've talked about this. He doesn't want to do it. If there was going to be an internal hire, my money is on Daniel Bullock's. Uh, they're, they're, they're one of their secondary coaches. They've been there for seven years now. Um, it would be Daniel Bullock's. But 
I don't think it'll be that. I think it'll be an external hire of the likes of Vrabel, Belichick, maybe even Pete Carroll. I don't know. I think it is going to be a big, splashy name. So a, a, a former head coach of notable success that would only take the job because of the 49ers' reputation. Correct. And because of what it could lead to of a head coaching job next season. Good luck with that. This is the springboard. That's all I'll say is good luck with that. I understand what you're saying, but they have to hit a freaking home run out of the park with this hire. They have to. They have to ease the minds of the Niners faithful. They have to get the right person, yes, but they have to get the best person. And in my book, that's Belichick or it's Frable. Well, yeah, it's no question. Those are two very, very good and coaches. And they got to make it work. And Kyle, if that means putting your ego aside, you do it to win the Super Bowl. Because this is multiple occasions now where you have fallen short in the big game. Not just on one franchise as a, as a coordinator, but as the freaking head coach. Twice against this Chiefs team. Something's got to change, and you know that. Anyway, I'm hot. I'm emotional. Emil Fergoso, Kyle Ledbetter. We will be back in a month or so with some podcast versions of the show. Thank you to every single person that has listened to Return of the Empire. Thank you listening on the airways. Thank you listening in the YouTube, watching us on the YouTube. And however you listen afterwards on the podcast as well, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for a wonderful 2023 NFL season covering the Niners. We'll be back next season with even more Niners content. Kyle, any last thoughts? I have had so much fun being a part of this show this year. I'm glad that we got to have our hour to do Niners coverage and thank you, Emil, and thank you to Nate for putting together wonderful and wacky podcasts every single week. This has truly been a very, very enjoyable season. Exactly. I completely agree. Thank you all for the ride. We'll be back next year better than ever. Until then, stay safe out there, Sacramento. We love y'all. Good night. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.